we lift up our souls. O oh, our God, in you we trust. Let us not be put to shame. Let not our enemies exult over us. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make us to know your ways, O Lord. Teach us your paths. Lead us in your truth and teach us. For you are the God of our salvation. For you we wait all the day long. And God, in this happy hour, in this glad hour, we ask that that would be true in our hearts. We lift our souls to you. There is no one else in whom we can trust nor should trust, God, but in you and in your word. And we ask that as we look at your word, that you would teach us, that you would fill us, that you would grow us, that you would be glorified in, uh, in what we see and what we learn and how it enlarges our own worship of you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome back. Week number two, Holy Spirit. Um, a, uh, a quick refresher in case you weren't here last week. Uh, we, hey, Stuart, welcome back. <laughs> is this for good or is this just, all right, okay, all right. Well, greet Stuart. Anyway, well, well you get a chance today. Um, right, so last week we got a start on uh, studying the Holy Spirit. We just made some introductory comments. We talked about the personhood uh, of the, the Holy Spirit, and uh, that recording is at the website if you wish to uh, avail yourself of that if you weren't here, or if you were here and it just didn't make any sense. Maybe it'll be better the second time through. Um, and uh, if you want the handout from last week, let me know. Uh, those, those things sometimes show up attached to the, the recording, sometimes they don't, but if you need it, uh, let me know. I can get that to you. Today, we're going to spend our, our time uh, talking about the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. This is a reference that's, that's used often. Uh, through the scriptures, and sometimes we don't exactly know what that means. Uh, and uh, specifically today, what we're going to spend time with is how the Holy Spirit worked in and through the life of Christ. Uh, and, and I hope that you'll be blessed as I have been uh, in, in preparing this. So where we start with that is this strange word called paraclete. Uh, parakletos is the, the Greek, but um, that's what is translated uh, in, in the Bibles that we read as helper or comforter, uh, advocate, counselor sometimes. And uh, really at, at its core, uh, what, what that word uh, means is, is, is really one who comes to bear testimony or give uh, true witness of something, and, uh, and, and, and again, comes alongside, that's what the word really means, uh, a paraclete, as one who is called, the, the Greek word is kaleo, to be called, 
and para just means alongside. Right? So we have, in our own world, world we have paramedics, right, who, who come alongside uh, other medical professionals. We have paralegals. It works most, most cases that way. Like, I don't think it works like with parakeet. I, I tried to look that up, and I don't, I don't think it's that, the, that that is alongside a keat. But it could be. I just don't know what a keat is. But, but uh, the, the, the paraclete, the helper, is one who comes alongside, who is called alongside. And so we see that um, five times in the New Testament, all of them in John, and, and four of those five in this section, John 14 to 16, um, that we, we talked about uh, briefly, and we'll talk about over and over again uh, in our weeks together from different aspects of it. Um, John 14, 16, 14, 26, John 15, 26, John 16, 7, and then 1 John 2, 1, where Christ himself uh, is, is called our paraclete with the Father. Um, the, the, the theme uh, of a witness coming forth to, to speak true things is all through the scriptures uh, where, where a witness, uh, no, no one could, uh, no charge could be substantiated without multiple witnesses. Um, it goes, goes all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, so look with me as we start in John 15, verses 26 and 27. John 15, verses 26 and 27. This is, this is at a, a section of the upper room uh, discourse where uh, Jesus is talking about how the world uh, hates him and, and, and hates those who follow him. And then he comes along in verse 26 and says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So uh, you see the, the theme here uh, of this bearing of witness. The apostles will bear witness uh, because they've been with Christ from the beginning. And so how much more does the Holy Spirit bear witness of Christ having been in eternity past uh, with Christ, right? So these passages from John 14, 15, 16, we spend most of our time, I think, our natural inclination is to immediately apply those to our own life. Um, and, uh, well, that's close, but really... Jesus wasn't speaking directly to you and to me. He was speaking to his apostles, to those disciples. And, and there are specific applications that we've heard from, from Pastor Dan and, and perhaps will again today about the scriptures themselves, that, that there, there's, a, there's a connection here that Jesus is, is speaking about how the Holy Spirit will bear witness to uh, Christ, to these apostles as they then are writing scripture. But there is, 
another part of this that we, I think we overlook, and that is specifically the Holy Spirit's ministry directly to Jesus during his life and his ministry. And so that's our focus today. You see there uh, a quote from uh, Basil of Caesarea, the, one of the Cappadocian fathers, if you're a history guy. And, and his, his point here is that the Holy Spirit was Christ's inseparable companion, that all the activity of Christ was unfolded in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to, in the remaining time that we have, we're going to just want to walk through the, the life and ministry of Jesus, his earthly ministry, and, and just see some of these points along the way. And I, and I hope that it will, will bless you. It's been great for me. So turn with me, if you would, as we start uh, this in, into Luke chapter 1. Because if we're going to talk about Jesus' uh, earthly ministry, we, we begin with Jesus' life that, as a human, which begins at conception. So we have Luke chapter 1. And uh, verse 31, first we have, we have Gabriel who is, is, comes before uh, Mary, verse 31, and says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And Mary asks what would be a really logical question at that moment in verse 34. How will this be since I am a virgin? She's, she's not only barren, all right, so this isn't the same question to Hannah or to, to Sarah. But this, is, this is to a, a, a virgin that this, is, this, is, this statement has come. And verse 35 gives that answer. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And uh, in, that, in that verse, I want to unpack three parts of this, because this, this will sort of walk us through the, the first part of our discussion. And, and so the first piece here of Gabriel's announcement is that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary. Uh, and, and those words hearken back to, uh, through Old Testament, the Holy Spirit rushing uh, upon uh, and coming in power, his presence being known and his power being shown in a number of ways. Uh, we won't, I didn't list these for you, and, but I'll just, let me just read three of examples um, from 1 Samuel 10. Uh, this is with Saul, um, Saul of Benjamin, Kish, son of Kish, the first king of Israel. Uh, 1 Samuel 10, verses 6 and verse 10. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And then verse 10, when they came, that is, Saul and his posse, when they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. So this is, this is the same uh, feel of, of what Gabriel is announcing uh, to Mary. Second uh, is in 1 Samuel 16 with David. 
Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. And then finally, uh, from Judges 14, uh, speaking of Samson, then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore a lion to pieces as one tears apart a young goat. Right, so, so there's this Two, two parts of this is the presence of the Holy Spirit rushing upon and then power that is exhibited as a, as a part of this. And the uh, related as well would then just be in, in the case of other, other cases from the Old Testament of, of the Holy Spirit's power making that which is barren, fruitful. I already mentioned Sarah, Hannah, um, Mrs. Manoah. We don't know her name. That's uh, Samson's mother. And then even in, earlier in Luke 1 is Elizabeth, right, who, who was without child in an old age. And, and the, the Holy Spirit makes that which was barren, fruitful. Okay. The second, the second part of this, <clears throat> back to Luke 1.35, the second part of this statement is the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And uh, we could probably spend the entire rest of the hour just uh, waltzing our way through the scriptures, seeing the Holy Spirit uh, and this theme of of overshadowing and, and watch-keeping over God's people. But I just want to pluck out a few um, places in Scripture for you. We'd start in Genesis 1-2 with the, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of, the, of God hovering over the face of the water. So even, even uh, at creation, the Holy Spirit is, is present there, um, watching, hovering. You, you imagine this overshadowing even though there wasn't any light, right? So there wasn't, at least there wasn't the sun to give light to make, a, need light to make a shadow. You get that, right? But um, next, in, uh, in the wilderness and in the, the tabernacle, the, uh, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, these are associated with the angel of the Lord, but also uh, with the Holy Spirit. We'll come down to that in, in Isaiah 63 here in just a bit, but... Let me read from, uh, from Exodus 13. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, did not depart from before the people. Uh, Exodus 14, 19. Then the angel of the Lord, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before and stood behind them. <clears throat> and in uh, Isaiah 63, Isaiah is, is recalling, he's bringing to mind for the people of Israel uh, God's watch care over them throughout the history of their lives, the, the history of their people. And uh, Go ahead and jot down Isaiah 63, 9 through 13. We won't read it all, but, but uh, 
Isaiah is reminding them. And in the midst of it, verse 11, he, he says, Then God remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. It says, Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit? And so there's this picture of even as in an exodus moment as the people, right? When, when uh, Isaiah is speaking of, of God bringing them up out of the sea, it's, it's a reference to bringing them through the Red Sea and saving them and in the midst of them being the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> okay. So a couple... Um, Things that, uh, as I think I told you last week, one of the references, uh, resources I'm using is Sinclair Ferguson's book on the Holy Spirit, which is just uh, a wonderful uh, resource. Ferguson sees here uh, echoes of creation and exodus uh, in the power of the Most High overshadowing uh, Mary. And, of course... um, we're not, the, the Son of God is not being created, right? So we, we can rule these things out, right? Um, but a unique new human being is being created, just, just like any other conception. Um, but here, this new human being uh, is a recreation or an, or an agent of recreation to restore full and true order to a messed up world. Right? Ephesians 1.10 tells us that as a plan for the fullness of time, Christ came to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. Likewise, <clears throat> an echo of Exodus here is as well as that this one who is to be born uh, Matthew 2.15 calls, calls out a reference of calling my son from, from Egypt. Find that and get that full and right. Matthew 2.15. Out of Egypt I called my son. All right, so this is, this is, this is the reference later on of, of when Mary and Joseph and Jesus had had fled to Egypt uh, because of Herod and then came back. So even, even there's this echo uh, of Exodus there, uh, that this is, this is part of what the Holy Spirit is working. Third part, back to Luke 1.35. Uh, Let me read that whole verse again for you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is part one. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Second part. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And so some of the items to, that we'll, we'll want to note uh, out, of, out of this part of the verse. This, Therefore, um, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Is that out of God's sovereign work um, that there is a uniqueness, uh, a a holiness that is being born out of God's work here, the Holy Spirit's work. Uh, In essence, there's actually some parallel between 
what's being described here and, and how rebirth is, is described in the Christian's life, right? That it's from John 1.13, that it's not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And so that same sovereign power of the Holy Spirit is being applied and described to the conception of the Christ. Um, there is another point here is that there is mystery here that, that well, it's just beyond all of us that somehow in Romans 8.3 uh, Christ's human nature was in the likeness of, of sinful flesh yet he is the Holy One. And uh, Hebrews 7.26 tells us that uh, he is a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Um, another author that I'm working from here uh, writes this way, which is helpful for me. I hope it is for you as well. Um, he says, the Lord's humanity was produced by the Holy Spirit in a supernatural way which at once obviated, that is made, made impossible, uh, obviated the possibility of contracting guilt from Adam, yet put him within the human family as a kinsman redeemer. Right, so this is, this is the, the mystery of how, how Jesus can be fully man Right, fully identify as a kinsman redeemer, yet not have the guilt of, of original sin applied to it. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit in this supernatural conception. All right. Um, a last uh, tidbit here, just to not overlook um, is, is the glorious cooperation of the, of the persons of the Trinity. <clears throat> that this is the, the Holy Spirit of God, the power of the Most High, right? The Father has, has designed this plan, the Son has submitted to it, and is cooperating with it, and the Holy Spirit is empowering this. This is, this, is, this is all before Jesus has even been conceived as a human uh, unborn baby. This the cooperation of the persons in the Trinity um, should excite you to see that. We'll, we'll come back to that point before we're done, but it, it, it should excite you to see the persons of the Trinity working together in such a way uh, to, to make uh, salvation through Christ uh, not only possible but real in the lives of believers okay we're on to growth then next and uh, so Luke Luke 2.52 is a good stopping point that uh, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And so this is uh, evidence of this is that uh, as a 12-year-old, he's 
sitting in the temple asking and answering questions, uh, stumping the, uh, his, his teachers and elders um, with, with more insight than, than those who are five times his age or more. And uh, I think that what we see there is a fulfillment of uh, what was spoken in Isaiah 11, verses 1 to 3, that there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. So we've, we've heard that verse a million times, but I want you to see that the effective uh, instrument in all of that is the spirit of the Lord resting upon this branch that comes from the stump of Jesse. Um, that, uh, that his delight being in the fear of the Lord is somehow tied up with the spirit of the Lord resting upon him. And, and knowing that, it, it starts to make even more sense when, you, when we hear the, the voice of 12-year-old Jesus tell his mom and his dad, in full obedience, well, where else essentially would I have been but in my father's house? Where, where did you think I would be? I didn't, may not stuff exactly like that, but, right? Why were you looking for me? Do you not know that I must be in my father's house? Right? So the, when, when the, the spirit of the Lord is resting upon 12-year-old Jesus, he, he, his response is, do you not know that I must be in my father's house? And where this is all aiming is Isaiah uh, 42, verse 1. This is one of these servant, uh, suffering servant passages, which reads, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. Okay? So again, our, our sort of laser focus, though, there's just a there's just a ton of little cul-de-sacs to go drive around in and come back, but our laser focus is the Holy Spirit in the life of Christ. And, and I think that that's where this passage is, is uh, pointing us as well. Okay, so that is um, conception, birth, growth. Um, next big stopping point here is in, uh, in, in Christ's life is his baptism. And uh, so let's look at Luke 3, verses 21 and 22. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And just 
hold on to that just for a, a second um, and go to Acts 10 uh, with me, verses 37, 38. It's helpful, I, I think, when we, when we read narrative, wherever um, there's a reflection on a narrative elsewhere, sometimes, sometimes the narrative, you know, really only tells us what happened, you know, this sort of police report-ish, you know, what, what happened. And uh, some reflection from other parts of the Bible, whether it's, whether it's prophecy, this was written to fulfill this, or whether it's an epistle where Paul or Peter, James, John are, are, are helping us understand something about this. I think this is one of those, those cases. Um, so, so Acts 10 uh, verses 37 38. This is, this is Peter. Um, and he says, You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Right, so, so the narrative gives us what happened. Jesus was baptized. Jesus was praying. The Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove. Peter um, gives us some of the background of, of what happened as it was happening. That God, at that point, anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. So some, some, some reflections on this, this moment. Um, so, so back in the, the Luke passage, um, the heavens were opened, right? This gets our full attention. I don't know what it looks like when heavens are opened, but I think it had everyone's attention, right? You, you know God, you know God is, is, is trying to draw our attention to what's happening when the heavens are opened. Um, and so divine, something divine is happening uh, from a divine cause. And again, as we've seen before, and we'll see over and over again, um, we see the unity of the Trinity. We see the Son who is, is obedient and submissive. We see the Holy Spirit who is sent. Um, and we see the Father, we hear, the Father's benediction, right? Um, what, what beautiful words. Um, to, to hear at this point. Another, another part of this is, and particularly from, from Acts 10, is we see that there is, now as a result of this, there's power, there is then the statement that Jesus went out and was doing things. He was um, proclaiming things, he was doing things. So, as we reflect on this uh, anointing. Um, this, is, this is maybe the, the biggest part of, of, of what was helpful for me this week. And, uh, oh, I hope that I can explain it faithfully. <laughs> but uh, let's talk just a little bit about this uh, because, because Peter makes a big deal out of this in Acts 10. All right, so Messiah, Christ, means the anointed one. Right, that's, that's 
What it literally means is the smeared one or the anointed one, the oiled one, right? Um, and one of the things that's in, interesting to see and to be very clear about is, is what, who's doing what? Um, because, I'll skip the because for now. We'll come back to the because. <laughs> Let's just be clear. Um, in Acts, we're told, get back to that, that, sorry, shouldn't have, shouldn't have moved my thumb out of there. Acts 10.38, Peter is relating how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. Okay, so now we have, we have all, all three persons. Hold, hold up three fingers, Rod, not your whole hand. It's not five, three. Persons of the Godhead. And God the Father is doing the anointing, right? Jesus the Christ is receiving the anointing, and the Holy Spirit is the anointing. See, here, here I think that we can get sideways in that we can think primarily of this as the Holy Spirit is anointing Jesus the Christ with specific um, uh, gifts, powers, um, and, that, and that that is the primary pathway, but, but Acts 10.38 doesn't describe it that way. Describes the Holy Spirit as the anointing, not primarily as the anointer. Now there's, there's more to follow, but, but I think that that's helpful to, to think about how this really is described here. Okay. So right, the point here that primarily God the Father anointed Christ with the Holy Spirit and then with that anointing and so the manifestations of the Spirit's presence and power were then seen. So third, third point here, uh, and that is why. why. Why did this need to happen? Why, uh, why, why would Christ need to be anointed with the Holy Spirit? Why, why should this happen? Um, we know there's some things that, are, that it, are reasons why it didn't need to happen. Right? There, was, there was eternal communion amongst the persons of the Godhead. Uh, it's not that Jesus was ever less than fully God um, and, and, and required something uh, from the Holy Spirit. But there, I think that there are two things here that are, that are helpful for us in, in why this occurred. One is that it's a confirmation for everyone who witnessed that directly and then for us as well that indeed this Jesus uh, who is praying alongside the Jordan after he was baptized, it's a, it's a confirmation that he indeed is the long-awaited Messiah. Just another reminder you know, along with the announcement from Gabriel and, and other things, that, that he is this long-awaited Messiah. Um, throughout all of its history, Israel had anointed uh, kings and prophets and priests uh, just to identify them as particular servants of the Lord, to set them aside for service. And here we see uh, Jesus 
as all of those, the supreme prophet, priest, and king, uh, being anointed and set apart for service. The second thing um, is, is where it leads us to uh, the quote that, that you'll see there that I have from Nick Batzig. But um, before we read that, um, remind ourselves of the two natures of Christ, right? He is fully God and fully man. And uh, Chalcedon helps us by describing these two natures as being united without mixture, uh, without confusion, without separation, or without division. Okay. And so, here's, uh, let me read this quote, and you've got it in front of you as well, from Nick Batzig, who says, while the human nature of Jesus was inseparably united to the divine nature of the second person of the Godhead, Jesus needed to live a perfectly sinless life in the power and by the grace of the Holy Spirit. It was not sufficient for him as the second Adam and representative of a new humanity to merely live according to his divine nature. What we need as fallen men is a human redeemer who would gain a human holiness for his people and would die a human death in their place. So that may raise 17 other questions for you, but I find this a very helpful uh, distinction as we think about, you know, why, why is the Holy Spirit empowering Jesus? Um, and I, I put the link in there because I, I recommend that article to you. Um, Batzik does a, a, a great job. He even refers to uh, a, a number of things from John Owen, who has this monstrous work on the Holy Spirit. And, and that will help you uh, probably way more than I will be able to help you on this. So, um, so that's this point. Um, let's move on. The temptations of, of Christ... Uh, I, I only want to, to mention, again, we're, we're, we're focusing on the Holy Spirit in the life of Christ, that, that uh, in Luke 4.1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Uh, Mark 1.12 uh, gives a, a little more vigorous description of the Holy Spirit's interaction, that the Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. Um, so, um, very, very quickly, just some, some uh, points about this. The Holy Spirit, right, is filling Jesus, is fully involved in the temptation, at least being in that place, not involved in tempting Jesus, right, but involved in providing power and filling to Jesus during that. And in fact, it's, it's a, this is an advance of Jesus into enemy territory, it's, it's, it's the first conquest, as it were, right? Where, where Adam and Eve failed and fled, Jesus conquered and Satan left. In fact, he was commanded, depart from me. So we see uh, in the power of the Spirit um, a first conquest in the wilderness, 
right? And Luke 4.14, I'm moving into the next section here in ministry. Um, Luke descri describes this then, that Jesus returned, this is from the wilderness, in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And uh, we want to read the next section of, of Luke 4, starting in verse 16. Because this is just, uh, it's all glorious. This, this is wonderful. Um, so starting in verse 16 of Luke 4. And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written, quote, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. End quote. And Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Uh, this is um, just amazing. Uh, we, we believe that, that Jesus said more. This wasn't just a mic drop. Uh, but, but this is what we have here. Um, and, uh, but, but it could have been uh, all he said, and it would have been enough. Uh, because what he is declaring is from Isaiah 61, the servant of the Lord, whose the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim and to do. Right? So, so uh, Jesus is... Um, is, is declaring this, saying, this has, been, this has been fulfilled right here, right now, right in front of your eyes. Uh, this is happening. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to do these things, to, to proclaim good news, freedom, the Lord's favor, and to do, to, to, to heal physical and spiritual. So, why this? So again, I've, I think that uh, um, part of this is authenticating uh, the messenger that, that this, is, uh, this is the one, the long-awaited Messiah. He's arrived. Uh, one of the other things then that we see, um, well, is that, is that as a result of this, a follow-on is Jesus' reputation grows and grows and grows um, because of the things that he's doing. Look, look down with me, in, uh, if you're still in Luke 4, verses 33 and 34. This is in Capernaum. In the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! which you might see at the bottom of your page says, leave us alone. I suppose it's faster to just say, ha. Um, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
Um, so we see demons with fairly decent uh, theology. Understand uh, Luke verse one thirty-five, that that which is to be conceived in you is the Holy One of God, right? As as uh, part and parcel of the Spirit of the Lord resting upon Him. It's not the only time that this shows up, um, but uh, you can so you can ferret out Matthew eight twenty-nine and Acts nineteen fifteen and James two nineteen. These are all. Um, evil spiritual forces actually speaking true things about Jesus. Of course, not believing, not being moved in their, their spirit over these things, but, but uh, Jesus, as he, in, this, in the Holy Spirit, is ministering and proclaiming and doing these things, uh, a reputation is, is being gained, the truth is being spread. One, one last thing before we leave uh, the ministry of Christ in the Holy Spirit is this helps me. I hope it helps you as well <clears throat> to understand uh, this curious passage in Matthew 12 uh, of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So Matthew 12, what what had been happening here? Jesus has has he's healed a demon oppressed man. The Pharisees. Uh, with a strange, uh, logical, uh, illogical argument, say, well, he's, he's casting out demons by a demon. Which, yeah. So Jesus sort of just swats down that logic and says, you know, who, 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 would, who would destroy their own house? But then, in verses 31 and 32, uh, says... Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. And here's, here's the seriousness of this that I think Jesus is bringing to bear in this case of what's, what's happening. Um, the sin is committed when a man recognizes the mission of Jesus is by the Holy Spirit, but then defies it, um, even resists it or curses it. So, so that is the denial that's happening here, is, is, is seeing something that you know is coming by the power of the Holy Spirit, but declaring it to be something else. Um, right? So it, it is a, it's a rejection of the, the lordship and ministry of Jesus Christ, but, but really at a, at a at a pinpoint level, it's the rejection of the work of the Holy Spirit in the, the ministry of Christ. Okay. We move on to, uh, to our next section, death, resurrection, and ascension. We have uh, very little time, which is why I'm really glad that I put a whole bunch of scriptures in there for you to look up. Um, so, let me read um, Hebrews 9.14 to you. Uh, and you'll see the connection of the Holy Spirit. How much more, this is, this is in contrast to the blood of bulls and goats, the writer to the Hebrews says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? I hope, hope you're just seeing how this, this, just, this theme 
even that, that Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. Um, the, the presence, the, 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 the intimate close relations between Christ and the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm going to leave uh, these uh, passages in resurrection and ascension for you to look up and to enjoy in their full because I want to get to that last section where it talks about implications, applications, and worship. Um, so the, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ just simply could not have been more complete. Uh, look at me with John, uh, look with me at John 3, verses 34, 35. John 3, verse 34. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand, including the Spirit without measure. Right? So this, this, this complete, it's just like an overwhelming flood of the Holy Spirit in the life and ministry of Christ. In fact, so much that when we get to 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18, and hear how Paul is, is he's writing of how only through Christ and turning to the Lord is, is the veil of, of the old covenant removed, the veil of the law. It's, the closeness is so tight that we see now the Lord is the Spirit. So there's, there's, not even, there's not even simile or analogy words, it's metaphor, right? The Lord is the Spirit. Um, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Okay. So the last bit that I want to leave you with as we close out here today are these two pieces from Romans 8 to 11. How does this, how does this impact our own lives, our own hearts? So look at Romans 8, 9 to 11 with me, would you? And I'd like, like you to just um, draw your mind to who dwells in you as we read this. Romans 8, 9 to 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Okay, there's one. The Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone, I'm sorry, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, oh, there's two, Spirit of Christ, does not belong to him. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, okay, Christ, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, there's a fourth, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in her, in you. And so here's a fifth. So, so four references to the spirit uh, and one to Christ as though they're almost interchangeable in this sense. The, the point here is to have the spirit is to have Christ. And to have Christ is to have the spirit. Uh, we do not go brothers and sisters, on some sort of spiritual scavenger hunt. Like, oh, I go over here and I find, I find the Father, 
and then and then I go somewhere else and I find Jesus and then and then later on after I reach some sort of something I, I then get the spirit yeah that 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 the triune God uh, works in all of his persons and comes to the believer we get the righteousness of the son applied to us we get the forgiveness and the benediction of the Father, and we get the presence of the Holy Spirit. Finally, John 14, 16, which is really close to where we started, where Jesus says, I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Um, first, it's an amazing thing to see, after all these other scriptures, that the Holy Spirit, Jesus the Christ is essentially, you could say, a receiver or beneficiary of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit filling him, filling him, uh, driving him, leading him. And now he's giving the Holy Spirit, uh, promising the Holy Spirit to his apostles and to us. Uh, we, are, we are told as well that this other, this another helper is the word there, another, it means like the first one, not a different one. So again, we're, we're, we get the sense that Christ is, we have Christ, we have the Spirit. We have the Spirit, we have Christ. Um, that as we see what we see in the words of Christ, the ministry of Christ, we would expect no contradiction from the ministry of the Spirit. And then finally, the promise that uh, he who is, this other helper to be sent will be with us forever, which I hope will inform your, your worship that uh, you will praise and glorify the Lord all the more with these truths. Okay, let's pray quick. God, thank you for truths of your word of how uh, you worked through the Holy Spirit in the life, ministry, even the death, resurrection, and ascension of your Son, and God, would these truths inform us, would we love you more and worship you more because of them. And we pray in Christ's name, amen.